1: Good morning, agents. Welcome to The Briefing Room here on Film Geek Radio. This is our podcast devoted exclusively to the Showtime series Homeland. I'm Andrew Johnson, and I'm joined by my executive co-director, Charlie Nash.
0: Hey, Andrew. How
1: are you doing, Charlie?
0: Andrew, I am having some violent, mind-bending hallucinations. (laughs)
1: Well, I'm sorry, Charlie. That's what happens when you go through a heroin withdrawal.
0: Like, I want to go cold turkey, but I don't think I can make it. This is just too hard.
1: <laughs> don't worry. I'll just, uh, I'll throw you in the lake and we'll see what happens.
0: Uh, do you know anyone else I could pick up from? I'd prefer to do that before I just <laughs> get thrown into a lake.
1: Well, you might want to check out Cinema Fix.
0: Oh, th- that's a good idea. I'll go ask Monica. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah. It's our other podcast on Film Geek Radio. And uh, they, they I don't know if they can hook you up with drugs, but they can hook you up with some uh, movie reviews.
0: Well, beggars can't be choosers.
1: Oh, today we're going to be discussing episode 9 of season 3 of Homeland. The episode is titled One Last Time. It was written by Barbara Hall and it was directed by Jeffrey Reiner. This is not a spoiler-free podcast, so if you haven't seen this episode of the show, you should go away, catch up on Homeland, and then come back. As always, you can email us at briefingroom@filmgeekradio.com. At we also have a brand new voicemail line that you can use to call and leave us feedback. We'd love to get your thoughts on Homeland and on the podcast. Just call 336-793-2509 and let us know what you think. Let's talk Homeland, Charlie. Uh, why don't you go ahead and remind our listeners what happened on this episode?
0: This is the official synopsis from Showtime.com. Carrie reunites with Brody but the circumstances are more difficult than either of them could have imagined. Meanwhile, Saul gets a win from an unlikely source, and Dana grapples with her new life away from home.
1: Here's a clip.
0: Where am I? The Naval Hospital. They brought you here after you were shot. Careful, don't want to rip the sutures. Quite a few of them. It was a through and through, missed the bone. Some muscle and tissue damage, but no nerve involvement you're lucky no he's just a great shot
1: how long will I be in here
0: as long as you need to be
1: for me to heal or for the CIA to figure out what to do with me
0: you'd have to talk to them are you aware you're 13 weeks pregnant yes The baby should be fine, in case you're wondering.
1: All right, Charlie. First off, what were your general thoughts on One Last Time?
0: Well, I will say that I found this to be a very, very gripping episode. I found it to be a very entertaining episode. I liked this episode overall, but my God, Andrew, this is one bizarre episode. <laughs> it's a weird episode for a very strange season, and like, I think it works in many places, And I think that it has some of the strongest moments of any episode so far this season. And yet at the same time, it's so all over the place tonally. Uh, The first half feels like Requiem for a Dream. The second half feels like Rocky. We've got Dana cleaning up motel rooms. We have Brody hallucinating. We have... A huge jump in time. There's so much going on in this episode that I found some of it to be hard to uh, take completely seriously. And yet at the same time, the acting is so good. Uh, you know, it's the first time that uh, Carrie and Brody are have been on screen this season. And regardless of what Carry uh, what Claire Danes and Damien Lewis have to say in terms of their lines. Uh, they always have great chemistry together. And it was kind of one of those things where it didn't matter what came before they met up. The scene where they first see each other is just so powerful and so well done that I was willing to overlook a lot of problems I had with this episode because I think that it works for the most part. I just think that it is very, very, very strange. And, uh... One frustration I will say I have with it is I feel like they set up a lot of stuff for Brody to do in Venezuela and uh, that's just uh, not relevant anymore. I'm disappointed with that a little bit, but the direction they're heading in seems promising, I think. So... Yeah, I'm still, t- I'm still kind of digesting this episode, but uh, I think that for the most part, I liked it.
1: I agree with you, Charlie. It's not a perfect episode, but overall, I was really happy with it, especially after last week's episode, which I found pretty disappointing. I, I thought that this was definitely a step in the right direction. I like how they're starting to throw in some new twists. They're starting to really bring things along. Uh, this felt more like the homeland of season two. To me, this, this yes. felt like the writer saying, All right, we've got all these things in place. Now let's just step on the gas and really get things moving. And it might feel a little jarring because so much of this season has felt so slow paced by comparison, but I thought that overall it, it worked pretty well. Even though Brody goes from being almost on the brink of death to to, to being back in you know great physical shape, in, yeah, uh, over the course of a single episode,
0: and two and a half weeks, I think it's what sixteen days. So it's not even two and a half weeks. It's like two weeks and a couple days,
1: <laughs> right? And and I mean, yeah, that's really really fast and kind of unbelievable. But I was willing to go with it just because. It felt like it was propelling the narrative forward, and this is what really, really needs to happen now to start yeah. bringing things to a satisfying conclusion at the end of the season. So yeah, overall, I really, really liked this episode. Uh, where do you want to start?
0: Oh my god, the I, I don't even know where to start. I mean, so much happens. Okay,
1: well, well, well I'm going to talk about, let, let's start with uh, probably my least favorite thing about this episode. And it's not terrible... How they pulled it off, ultimately, it just winds up being completely irrelevant, uh, Seeming, or at least it seems irrelevant right now. And that is the fact that uh, we discovered Elaine was passing information on to Lockhart. Oh. That whole subplot was the weakest part of last week's episode. And it's still my least favorite subplot of the entire season so far. It's just like, what is Elaine doing? Why is he, he's an Israeli intelligence officer? What?
0: Yeah, that was a bit far-fetched. Um, I was willing to go with it, though, because this whole episode, um, Saul is using, you know, like like Saul always does, He he's manipulating people to get what he wants, and for a while, I was thinking, you know, Saul has great intentions, but you know, now he's manipulating Brody, and then he's getting carried to manipulate Brody, and he doesn't—he doesn't seem to care how much pain it brings them, as long as he gets what he wants. And uh, the scene where he decides not to uh, throw Lockhart under the bus showed to me that Saul is still a human being. He's not deciding to. Uh, Hand in Lockhart because it would humiliate Mira, and because it would damage the agency as a whole. And it was a nice little reminder that Saul is not completely narcissistic. He's he still does understand that you know he's dealing with the lives of other people here, and uh, you know he could really hurt a lot of people in the process if he gets entirely what he wants. Even though he's continuing to hurt. Carrie and Brody in many ways in this episode but I feel like that plot point came at a time where I was so frustrated with Saul because you know Brody so clearly wanted to die and he's he knows that Carrie has a soft spot for Brody and he keeps jabbing her in that soft spot to get what he wants. And now, uh, so I guess that the way it was structured in the episode, I didn't have a, uh, I I felt like it worked. If it was like the first scene of the episode, I agree with you, it would have just made me irritated and it would have seemed very, uh, irrelevant.
1: I am so team Saul, Charlie, and and we'll talk about Saul in in a little bit, but, you know, you're talking about how Saul isn't being really fair to Carrie, and he's manipulating people. I am so on Team Saul, Charlie. I, I really, I love Saul, but we'll we'll get to that in a minute. Getting back to everything with Elaine, I agree. With, I agree with you that the scene with Saul and Senator Lockhart, I I do like that development mainly be just because of what it reveals about Saul. But in general, I'm just kind of I just kind of feel like what was the point of this stuff with Elaine? Yeah, Uh, I mean, what what, when I say that, I mean, what was the point of actually making him a character that is spying on Saul? Because really, all Saul does with it is he uses it to extend the deadline for uh, when he'll have to step down as director. And I'm just thinking, well, if you're writing the show, why not just set the deadline back to begin with (laughs) and just not have that subplot?
0: Yeah. I mean, it does. I I didn't mind it. And I thought, oh, well, that that's good character development. But at the same time, it's a pretty stupid plot twist that uh, the person that Mira is sleeping with also happens to be working for Lockhart. And that just makes Mira out to be really dumb. But at least they are at least Saul is like, "Uh, my wife will be humiliated if this gets out of uh, if this gets exposed. And I really don't want to make her feel bad.
1: I mean, it's a great character moment. But I don't think that the the character i i think that that character we've already seen you know in yeah. homeland we've seen that side of saul before mm-hmm. so i don't think it was worth having that whole subplot just to get to that just to have that scene and i feel like you know unless something else happens with lockhart in the next three episodes and he somehow used turns the tables on saul and uses this to his advantage then There really is no point to have Elaine be working for him. You could just cut that subplot entirely and just have Elaine exist as a one-dimensional background character that affects Saul's relationship with Mira. And it it wouldn't be a problem.
0: Yeah, I can understand that. I mean... I guess I was just willing to let that fly because it worked as a good character moment for Saul. But at the same time, looking back on stuff, you're right, we've seen this moment before. It's a pretty ridiculous plot twist that we had to develop in order to get to this point. And, um... I'd say whenever Lockhart's on screen, this episode is when I was least compelled. Um, the scene where he visits Carrie in the hospital, I understand Lockhart's point. He does have a good point that uh, Carrie needs someone that he can, she can trust. But in no way is she going to trust him. I mean, I, I was just like, well, yeah, dude, you have a good point. But in no way is she going to trust you. You were, like, in- humiliating her in court, like, in the first few episodes. And now you think that, you know... You think that she's just going to work for you? I don't think that you have a bad point about you know her not being able to trust the CIA as much, but no way is she going to turn to you, dude. Right? Like, if, she,
1: if she stops trusting Saul, she'll put her trust in Brody. That's where that's where that's going to go.
0: She's not going to trust Senator Lockhart. And yeah, like it, it came before this plot twist with Mira and everything like that. And uh, the other scene that I didn't like at all was actually the first scene of the episode where the doctor comes in and says, did you know you're six month, uh you're six weeks pregnant, 13 weeks, or 13 weeks, excuse me. And then she he goes, Oh, well, the baby should be fine. Just to let you know. I was like, oh, the, that, that's just the writers like, saying, oh, crap, we kind of forgot that Carrie was pregnant for a second. Well, we'll just clear that up with a line.
1: Yeah, and it made everything with her getting shot in the last episode even more meaningless than it already was.
0: <laughs> so. Yeah, she wears a cast for the entire episode, and you know, next week she'll probably be fine.
1: Right. Well, speaking of speaking of Carrie, um, a lot of critics have criticized the fact that the show now is back to being all about Carrie and Brody and their romance and how that shouldn't be the main focus of the show. And while I agree, I don't think that should be the main focus of the show, and I do think that especially last week it was a problem when we saw that Carrie was not really acting like Carrie. Yeah. Just because she loves Brody so much. I I th- I think that's when the show is at its worst when it's using this romance between Carrie and Brody to make them do things that really, they it, it's not in keeping with their character. Mm-hmm. That's when it's a problem. But overall, I it makes sense to me the fact that they would be madly in love with each other. That they would look at each other and see an, a, a fellow broken person and be drawn to that. So on the whole, I'm okay with their romance and them wanting to be together. And in this episode, you know they do get to see each other again. And whether or not their relationship will continue romantically, it's a little complicated because Brody clearly doesn't like what the CIA is making him do. But at the same time, I think he and Carrie both understand that this is what's necessary. So on the whole, I was on board with it.
0: I was on board with it too, and you know, the first time that they meet up in this episode, it's not like Brody looks over at Carrie and they start making out and having sex on the bed. I mean, he turns over and is just like, no, I just want to die. I thought that was a really powerful moment. That was actually my favorite scene of the whole episode was when Carrie uh, sits down and uh, is looking at Brody as he's lying down in bed, and you can see Damien Lewis opening his eyes and knowing that she's there without even having to look over yet. I thought that was a really terrifically executed scene.
1: Right, and you can tell that he, you know, maybe it's not that he hates her or he distrusts her, he just doesn't want her to see him like that.
0: Yeah. Well, I think that it's, I got a bit of frustration from both. Like, I feel like he doesn't want him to see him like that. Part of him still wants to die. And I feel like part of him knows that she's kind of in on whatever's going on right now and that he's he can't trust her and that he's angry. I mean, he's completely unbalanced psychologically. I mean, the stuff that he was going through in the first half of this episode were so intense and so, so emotionally devastating and so exhausting for him. I mean, he doesn't want to do anything. He just wants to curl up, you know, in bed and just pass out. And uh, I totally bought that. and, their relationship this episode felt more realistic to me than when they left it off in the end of season two, where, you know, I liked it fine, but, you know, it was very, we'll see each other again someday, you know, kind mm-hmm. of a, we will love each other forever. And don't worry, this is, uh, this isn't goodbye. You know, we'll, we'll meet up again. And I love you so much. And I, I like when Homeland deals with the fact that they love each other, but also deals with the fact that they consistently clash with one another in terms of doing what they believe to be the right thing.
1: Right, and. And I I like how this episode, in some ways, pointed out how Carrie, you know, as much as she loves Brody and as much as he might love her, she's part of the CIA. And the Mm -hmm. CIA is is a system and an institution that has, like the military and like the extremist groups that tortured him to a certain extent, they've just kind of used Brody and manipulated him and chewed him up and spit him out. And for all of Saul and Carrie's pleas to Brody about, oh, how now he can redeem himself. Yeah, there's a little bit of truth to that. But at the same time, he's still just a pawn in their game.
0: Oh, absolutely. I wrote that down in my notes, exactly. (laughs) Right.
1: And I like how he starts hallucinating and he sees uh, Walker from season one and he has a a flashback to when he was being tortured and the show visually makes this parallel between the withdrawal he's now going through and the the, the physical hell that the CIA has now put him in and the tort and and how he was tortured as a POW and i thought that that was really really interesting that now you know no matter where he turns no matter where he is in the world someone is always torturing him in one way or another
0: Yeah, I love that scene as well. I think that was the first time this season that I got genuinely scared by this show. That scene was genuinely frightening. I mean, even though we knew he was hallucinating and that none of it was real, it was pretty freaky. It felt like, you know, almost supernatural in a weird way. And uh, it, it, it reminded me a lot of like Darren Aronofsky movies like Requiem for a Dream and Black Swan where it's a character just going uh, further and further into psychological hell, and uh, the one problem I have with this show tonally is I feel like it was so dark for the, or, or this episode tonally, is that it was so incredibly dark for the first half hour. Like, Brody's hallucinating, Brody's stabbing himself with a broken leg of a chair, and, uh, Then Saul tells him, you want to die? Well, we'll see about that. And then they throw him into the lake, and then they're like, oh, he'll come up, he'll resurface. And then the fact that they have to go back in and get him, because that really shows, oh, actually, Brody's not resurfacing. He really does want to die that bad. And then Saul saying, get him to eat. I don't care. He has to be alive. And then to go from that to, like, this Rocky-like montage where he's, you know, jogging, and he's uh, knowing how to, like... Set up these incredibly huge guns and he can, uh, he's doing sightseeing tests with, uh, Playboy magazines. It was like two completely different episodes of Homeland, crazy glued together. I feel like if we split this episode in two and, like, got rid of one of the filler episodes from a few weeks back and then we split this episode into two and then developed each of them further, I feel like it would have been better. At the same time, It was really gripping and really entertaining, and it moved faster than anything, uh, any episode this season. So it's hard for me to, it's like a double-edged sword in its own way.
1: Right, and overall, I was willing to go with it just because I was glad the show has finally picked up some momentum and really seems to be moving forward. Um, I want to touch on two things you mentioned. You mentioned that they throw him into the lake, and he he still doesn't come up. I just want to point out that drowning is a horrible way to die. And the fact that he would choose to die that way, and maybe even consciously start to uh, breathe in water, that's a really low place to be.
0: (laughs) Yeah, and I like the fact that he didn't come up. I expected him to. I thought that Saul was going to get to him, and that also shows how much Saul really doesn't care that Brody is in that much pain that he wants to die. He's still using him to get what he wants, and he's treating him like, as you said, a pawn in a chess game, as opposed to another human being. And then he's, and then since he's unable to get Brody to do that himself, he uses Carrie because he knows that that is Carrie's, like, weak point is Brody. I think Saul has a very good idea. I think that he's doing it for all the right reasons. At the same time, he's completely throwing aside everyone else's feelings and priorities over his own.
1: Right, and, and, and I'll get to that in a, in a minute. Um, the, the other thing I wanted to, to mention was that you brought up how Saul and Dardal order them to uh, force-feed Brody, mm-hmm. which I believe is considered a form of torture. Is it? I believe so.
0: I mean, don't they do that in hospitals for drug addicts?
1: Well, I, n- I know... A lot of human rights groups consider it torture and it reminded me of what's been going on over the past couple years with the prisoners down in guantanamo uh who have gone Uh, on a hunger strike mm -hmm. and yet we are force feeding them and there are many 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 human rights activists who who say that force feeding is a form of torture and sure this is a little bit different in that Brody isn't really protesting anything he just wants to die Mm -hmm. but I I did think it was interesting that yeah it it made me think of that real life parallel and it it, it made me wonder okay is this another way in which the show is linking Brody back to when he was being tortured overseas and how he is depending on who you ask a, a terrorist to a certain extent
0: yeah Because in a way, we are, you know, in a way, he did get brainwashed. In a way, he did get completely, uh, you know, abused and chewed and spit out and turned into this completely different person again. Right. Just like Abu Nazir did that to him back in the first season, so... Right,
1: and now the CIA can do whatever they want with him, and they can torture him and force-feed him if they they want to, just like those prisoners down in uh, Guantanamo, and there's nothing really that he can do about it except go along
0: yeah that is a good point you bring up about the force-feeding I didn't really think about that I just uh, thought okay, Saul just wants him to be alive. I'm glad that they didn't show a force-feeding scene, though, because I feel like that would have just been too much at this point because there's so much stuff already that Brody has to endure. Are you glad that they didn't show that on screen, or would you have preferred almost like a Zero Dark Thirty waterboarding sequence of uh, Brody being force-fed?
1: I mean, I don't think it was necessary. I I do think it would have been interesting just because, again, there's that real-life parallel, and I think a lot of people— don't really realize that 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 stuff has happened down at Guantanamo, or they maybe don't realize that some people might argue it's torture. Um, So I think it would have been interesting if the show really tried to dive into that debate by actually showing that, but I don't think it was necessary.
0: Yeah. There's just so much pain already. Also, his arm healed really quickly. It looked like he was stabbing himself really deeply with that broken uh, leg of a chair. And I believe by the time he gets on that plane, his arm is fine. Is he still wearing a... Is he still got a bandage on? I don't remember.
1: Well, look, Charlie, that is power positive thinking right there.
0: That is some positive thinking, Andrew. Once
1: you get motivated and decide to uh, keep on living, your body can do anything.
0: Well, that's another thing is that, you know, all that exercise definitely would give him a rush of endorphins and would definitely get him in a better state of uh, mental health.
1: Right. That's true.
0: But at the same time, would it work that quickly? Because I go to the gym. Well, at this point, never. But like (laughs) whenever I would go to the gym, uh, that I would get a definitely like a rush of endorphins and I would get that good, positive feeling. But it would only last for like, Maybe till the end of the day, if that. And I was just wondering, like, that must be some really positive thinking that Brody must be putting into his head. Because to get in that good of shape in two weeks after you don't even want to eat, you don't even want to see the love of your life, you don't want to do anything. I I mean, I know that he's all doing it after seeing Dana in the motel room, which I'm sure we'll get into uh, pretty soon, too. Wow, that's pushing yourself all right, Brody.
1: (laughs) Yeah, and, you know, that's that's just, again, it's the show moving unrealistically fast, but it's still exciting to see, and I'm willing to suspend my disbelief.
0: Yeah, and is that why another reason why it reminded you of season two is because it moved so fast in terms of its pacing? Yeah,
1: Yeah, yeah, definitely. But let's talk about Saul, because we've brought him up several times i am so on board with saul this season charlie i love everything that they've been doing with him you get the impression that saul has this master plan he is he's he's like god with the big bushy beard at this point he sees everything and he knows everything that's going on and knows exactly how he wants it to play out. And I love how it seems like after the Langley bombing, when he was made temporary director, he was in a place of power finally. And he he seems to have decided, all right, I know about how the CIA works. I understand that we have used and manipulated and broken people like Brody and Kerry in the name of the war on terror and... I'm fed up with it, and I'm going to do something about it, and we're going to have peace in the
0: Middle East. At the same time, he's continuing to manipulate people like uh, Carrie and Brody, and he's continuing to manipulate everyone around him. He's manipulating people that basically were manipulating other people. He's kind of like giving CIA a karmic kick in the ass, but at the same time, he's still hurting people he loves like Brody and Carrie.
1: Well, he's, he's hurting them, but I feel like he's only hurting them temporarily. Saul is taking... The long view here. He's saying, okay, how can I accomplish the most good with the least amount of damage? Okay, sure, Brody's going to go through a few, a few weeks of hell as we get him off drugs. But hey, he's going to get off drugs. And that's good. Hey, Carrie might be upset with me for a little while. But if Brody comes back, then they can be together. And mm-hmm. that'll make her happy. And we can also have a somewhat U.S. quote-unquote friendly presence in iran at the top of the food chain which is a really 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 big deal so mm-hmm. I, I feel like saul has reached that point where he's just like okay this has to stop all of this back and forth between us in in iran let's just end it he is so dedicated to peace charlie that he doesn't even want to throw lockhart under the bus he's just like i'm tired of
0: it yeah exactly
1: I'm just tired of dragging people through bad stuff when I don't have to. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he's still playing the game, but he's got a completely different goal in mind. Mm -hmm. And I feel like most of the time when we see these spy shows and these espionage shows, it's all about, well, what's your master plan so you can destroy the enemy? And I love how with Saul, it's, what's your master plan so maybe we can eventually stop playing this game.
0: Yeah, no, I agree with you. I think that Saul does have a good plan. I I love the fact that it's mostly through Brody and Carrie's perspective, and it shows all the pain that they're going through, though, because it does show that he, while Saul is... Doing damage to stop damage, he's still doing damage, and is that right? Uh, if we have to, I, I'm sure if you ask Saul, Saul would probably say something along the lines of like, "Well, in order to make an omelet, you have to break good, uh, you have to break a few eggs." But uh, I like the fact that it shows that Saul has good intentions. But at the same time, it shows all the pain that he's causing to these two characters. And I guess that's why the scene with Lockhart worked for me so well, is because I was actually pretty surprised at the lack of empathy that Saul had for Brody and uh, the f- ways that he manipulated Carrie. That by the time he didn't even want to throw Lockhart under the bus I was and explained his master plan, it all made sense to me. And I guess that's why I didn't have a problem with it.
1: Yeah, you're, you're right. Obviously, he is hurting brody and carrie but i at the same time i just feel like it, it's tough love you know it, it, it's Saul saying look carrie look brody you're great i wish you weren't broken people but you are and i'm just gonna break you a little bit more i'm just gonna push you a little bit further so that hopefully afterwards you will be able to heal and we can just stop all of this
0: At the same time, I feel like that's Saul's personality. Do you think there will ever be a time where Saul will stop doing this? Because I feel like he's been doing this to them for the past three seasons. And I think that he continues to use them as pawns to get what he wants. And while it's all for good reasons that would help uh, a lot more people, it would do more good than it would do bad. Saul, it seems like an addictive personality he has where he doesn't even know how to stop doing this in order to get what he wants. Cause you know, season two, we were, you know, Brody was told, okay, you do this, you'll redeem yourself. And then Brody basically did everything that they wanted and then got accused of being the Langley bomber. And now Saul's like, well, you still did this back in season one and you did this back in season two. And uh, now this season you got uh, this family killed in Venezuela. So I'm going to hold that guilt over your head in order to blackmail you emotionally blackmail you basically. And, I wonder if, if this mission is successful. Will Saul still act this way? Probably. He'll probably still use Carrie for stuff, you know, along these lines. Well, it's not
1: like Carrie's job was just going to end.
0: No, but at the same time, I think that it's a psychologically, sometimes psychologically abusive. I, I that sounds so harsh. But I honestly think that he breaks Carrie so much, and I feel like Carrie keeps getting sucked back into being hurt and getting mentally destroyed. I think that, you know, a lot of the ways her mental health problems may stem from the fact that Saul keeps using her as a pawn and he loves her, but he's still her boss and uh, still uses her to get what he wants all the time, regardless of how, you know, it will damage her. I mean, she's literally been through so much these past three seasons that it's insane. I
1: mean, you, you're right to a certain extent, Charlie, and 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 maybe I'm too idealistic, but I feel like Saul understands that, and he understands that this that this whole system and the way the CIA operates is in many ways psychologically damaging and abusive, and I feel like this is his master plan. This is a once in a lifetime opportunity. This whole plan that Saul has. Concocted. This is incredible stuff. You know, not only at first we just thought, oh, he and Kerry teamed up to find a Langley bomber. Then we realized, oh no, Saul wants to make Javadi an asset. Oh, he not only wants to make Javadi an asset, he wants to have Brody assassinate another Iranian official so that Javadi can rise even higher in the ranks and really just change the the nature of Iran's relationship with the U.S. And it's just such an incredible, far-reaching plan that I find myself believing, you know what? If Saul pulls this off, he could retire. He could just say, I've done it. I'm not going to do. This is, this is it. This is what I was put on earth to do. I've done this incredible thing. This is how I will be remembered in history. I can stop now. And maybe Brody and Carrie can, can have a life together you know I, I I feel like Saul very much has everyone's best interests at heart and he, that's ultimately what he he's going for I don't think he's quite as addicted to this whole psychological game as, as you imply he is I think that like Quinn and like Carrie and like Brody I think to a certain extent Saul is broken and worn down as well and he just wants it to stop.
0: I can give you that. Um, I hope that those are his intentions because I would love for that to be what he ultimately wants is just to do this one last job and then settle down with Mira and then Carrie and Brody can get together Um, Because what I was thinking watching this episode is how many times have we heard Saul say this is a a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity? And he's always right. It is a a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity every time he says that. But I guess I just kept thinking, how many times is Saul going to pull this on Carrie? He's always right. It's a now-or-never situation. But how many times has he gotten his way and how many times has he broken people by saying that? And I guess that... I wasn't thinking that he uh, of him thinking of the possibility of retiring. I just kept thinking that he's gonna try and keep doing this. But at the same time, you're right because he didn't take Lockhart's position. He just extended the deadline so that he could finish this, and that does imply that maybe he is done. Maybe he is just done with this job.
1: Right? Like, like I, 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 almost, I found myself thinking, Charlie, what if this was the final season of Homeland? You know, what if this was the end and The show wanted to go out on an incredibly idealistic, positive note. What would happen? Saul would accomplish this. He would retire. Carrie and Brody would have pulled off this incredible thing. They'd be able to be together. And yeah, they might be broken. They might all be broken, worn-down people. But they could rest confident in the knowledge that they had done their jobs well. And now they could go start to heal.
0: That would be a very happy ending. That would be
1: a very, very happy ending, and I'm not sure the show is going to go there.
0: I don't either, at all.
1: But I like the fact that, in some ways, I, I, th- you know, I, I do think that it is portraying Saul like Brody and Carrie to a certain extent, where he is worn down himself. He's not addicted to power. He just wants to do his job well and then move
0: on that is true no if he was addicted to power he would have thrown lockhart under the bus and you know if he did throw lockhart under the bus i feel like that would kind of descend in saul into being cartoonishly power driven and that just wouldn't work it wouldn't gel well with his character at least of what we've seen so far this show
1: i mean i don't think it would make him a cartoon it would just make him like you said we would get the impression that saul doesn't want this to be his last job he wants to keep doing stuff like this And that would, I think, make him a little bit more ethically questionable. But because he doesn't do that, I'm more inclined to view him in a very, very positive way.
0: I think he definitely is a good character. I like Saul a lot. I, I actually like this episode a lot because it's making me think about how morally gray everything is, as I felt like this was one of the most morally gray episodes of the show this season, because everyone is technically doing the right thing, technically, But they're all sacrificing something in order to get it. And that's what I really liked about it is it's all this whole episode to me was about sacrifice, whether it's self-sacrifice or sacrificing the person that uh, a person that you love in in order to make the world a better place, in order to do your job, in order to keep moving. And uh, also, I think that Brody's going to die. I think they've made it very clear that they kind of want to kill off Brody. Um, I think it was Todd Vanderwerf uh, who wrote a review this week that was like this episode might be titled uh, show. We want to kill off Brody, but we're afraid Showtime won't let us because I feel like they dropped hints that Brody's not going to make it back. That Brody might die on this mission, that he might accomplish this mission, but he's probably not coming back. In one scene, Brody says, it's, oh, come on, Carrie, you know, that's not likely For that, you know, I'm going to see her when I come back. I'm going to see Dana when, you know, I come back from this mission. You know, the episode ends with Carrie looking at Brody and saying, see you on the other side, which obviously can mean a variety of things. But what I thought was, that's implying death? Yeah. You didn't think so? Maybe, maybe
1: she won't see him again. Yeah. And, you know, this—the the title of the episode is One Last Time. Yeah. Maybe this actually will be the last time for Brody because he dies.
0: Yeah, no, that's exactly what I was thinking. Because, I mean, do we really—this whole season has been pretty Brody-less. And whenever Brody's been in this show, it's been all about Brody. The episode—Brody's basically the main focus of the episode. Uh, and he's only been in—I mean, technically he's been in three, but, you know— I don't really count last week because that was like a cliffhanger and he didn't say anything. He just, you know, sat in a corner high on heroin. And here it's all about Brody. And it took us nine episodes to get to this point. And I just feel like the writers are kind of thinking, we don't really know what to do with this character anymore. He's already broken. We can draw this parallel to how the CIA is reconstructing him just as uh, Abu Nazir reconstructed him in uh, the Middle East but we don't really know where to go with it. And we know that the audience doesn't want it to just be Carrie and Brody's romantic problems for an entire show, because we want to tackle more controversial and more thought-provoking themes that deal with, you know, the war on terror.
1: But see, I think you can explore some of those themes through Brody. And while, yes, I I agree, I think it would be really interesting if they killed him off and then kind of rebuilt the show as something else without him, I think that would be really interesting. I, you know, I do think even if they decide to keep him on the show, I don't, I, I do think that there's more stuff they can do with him just because of those themes about how he's broken, how he's a pawn, how he wants to reconnect with his family, but he may have lost them, how he's drawn to Carrie because she's broken like him, but she's also part of this system that keeps grinding him down. I, I do mm-hmm. think that there's stuff, there's more stuff they could explore with him that would be interesting so you know i don't know we'll we'll see what happens to him by the end of the season i don't want to say yet definitively oh they should kill him off or they should keep him around because i think that there's potential for the show to do some interesting things either way but speaking of sacrifices that characters are having to make brody in this episode realizes that you know what he he's kind he's lost dana yeah And his actions, or just the fact that people thought he was the Langley Bomber, it's really damaged Dana and and, uh, his family. And I thought that that was a nice addition to the episode. I think, Charlie, that this could potentially be the last time we see Dana. And if so, I am much happier that this is where the show has left her character.
0: Yeah, much better than uh, the dumb road trip with Leo and then just "Mom, I'm leaving home, bye." But I will say, but I will ask you this one question: What the hell happened to her friend? I thought she was staying in a friend's house. Did that friend just be like, "Oh, we're living on the streets"? Like, <laughs> like what happened? I
1: have no idea. And, and also, I do think it's kind of weird that Brody doesn't really care about Jessica and Chris.
0: <laughs> nope. <laughs> yeah, I, I thought at one point Carrie was going to bring it up, and then he's like, "Huh." Oh, yeah. Them.
1: <laughs> I don't want to visit Chris. He might beat me up with his karate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah. If that's Dana's reaction. I mean, Chris is a blue belt carry. Do you know what he can do? <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, uh, I, I, I mean, I did like that scene with Dana, though. And I like how the show I mean, it's it's certainly a very pessimistic note to end on with her character. But I like how it, it, it does feel complete. It feels like the show has reached the end of an arc for dana where she went from having her father back in her life and to being really happy about it and and until by the end of this season like everybody else in the show she's worn down she's broken it's damaged her as well and she just has to move on and 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 break it off and i think that yeah that's kind of a downer but it's a it's an organic path for her character to follow
0: Yeah, I I completely agree. It was definitely the best uh, use of Dana so far this season, because it, you know, finally she actually connects with everything else going on, and she doesn't feel like she's in her own little show, so... I, I agree. I like that scene a lot. And I thought Morgan Saylor did a great job in that scene. As with Damien Lewis, and I think Damien Lewis gave a tremendous performance and pretty much stole the show for most scenes, because I feel like a lot of these scenes he's acting just by staring. And I know that sounds kind of stupid in terms of the way I phrased it, but literally he's acting without moving. He's just... He, he's communicating so much without saying a single word.
1: If they kill him off at the end of the season, and if it turns out he really was only in a few episodes, uh, say what you will, he's he's going out on a high note. He's giving it his all. He's saying, hey, I'm Damian Lewis. I am an actor. Hire me. <laughs>
0: I am phenomenal. <laughs> Yeah, because, um, you know, I think Claire Danes is an amazing actress as well. And I think she's always been great. But maybe because we've seen so much of her this season that I was just really blown away by Damien Lewis's performance and forgot how just how good of an actor he is. Right. I mean,
1: he, he's not going to ever hurt for work again
0: after this. No. He's not going to be making any more Dreamcatchers, that's for sure. <laughs> have you seen Dreamcatcher? I've
1: seen portions of it.
0: Yeah, <laughs> uh, because even Damien, because Damien Lewis is in that movie, and he's possessed by an alien, and the alien uh, is British. <laughs> and even that movie, it's like Damien Lewis knows knows that he's like totally uh, in a. Bad over the top movie, and he just was like, "I'm just gonna go for it and make get, make this guy British. I'm gonna, you know, be talking to myself, and I'm gonna be crazy, and I'm gonna like."
1: Is is that the one where the aliens like attack you through your rectum? Or, yep, or something. Yeah,
0: yeah. So it's like fart jokes for the first half hour, and then a total disgusting gore fest for the next two hours. And it's it's one of those movies where it's so bad it's good. Like it's just hilarious. Well,
1: I mean, Brody did crap his pants this episode. So, yes,
0: and they they host him off.
1: So, what if they're working their way into a Dreamcatcher Homeland crossover?
0: <laughs> Morgan Freeman comes in and ruins the entire operation <laughs> because of alien because he believes aliens are in the Middle East. <laughs> yeah, the writers just
1: decide to flip off all the critics. And they're like, screw you critics, we're not going to kill off Brody, we're going to make him an alien. This show is going to be completely different, how do you do that?
0: (laughs) I don't think anyone saw Dreamcatcher and thought, you know what would be a great uh, spin-off television show? Dreamcatcher. (laughs) And then you know what, that would be even better? If we crossed it with Homeland. (laughs) (laughs) Totally relevant.
1: (laughs) Real quick, you mentioned Dara Doll and I I won't be able to comment on this much further until the end of the season and we see where they ultimately decided to take things, there is a part of me that wonders, did we even need Senator Lockhart as a character this season? Could it have not just been Dara Dahl?
0: Uh, That's a good point. I mean, someone needed to uh, try Carrie, right? I mean, we did need Senator Lockhart for that reason. But
1: I mean, could it have not just have been Dara Dahl who has more of the militaristic philosophy who maybe the president wants to appoint as new director due to his experience in Black Ops and, and everything. You know, there, there's a part of me that wonders, as much as I love Tracy Letts, did we need him as a character or could they have accomplished the same thing through Daradal? Because I, I do like Daradal as a character, but it, it they haven't been doing as much with him this season as I originally thought they would.
0: Yeah, I agree with you. Um, I love Tracy Letts as well, but uh was kind of a threat already in season two, and he was a much more credible and realistic threat.
1: Yeah, they, they built him up as this shadowy, mysterious guy who could have nefarious motivations, you know, and they haven't yeah. really done a whole lot with that. Also, getting back to everything with Brody, I am kind of wondering, wait, so was everything in Caracas? were those just random extremist groups or random people that happened to find him after all and then Saul discovered it and paid them off
0: no, exactly. Like, I didn't really think about it until after the episode was over, but I thought, wait, so I'm kind of annoyed. We spent all that time setting everything up in Caracas. We got, you know, hints that we were going to see more of who these characters were. And, you know, who the hell is this doctor guy giving these really terrifying speeches? And uh, what is their point? What's their deal? We never really find out who they are. They are willing to go in and kill a family of Middle Eastern citizens but we never really know why they're such extremists. We don't know what their motive is. They're just kind of left on the cutting room
1: floor. I mean, I guess we're just supposed to believe that they were some gangsters, some South American gangsters, who caught Brody and just decided to sell him to the highest bidder, which happened to be Saul in in, in this case. That's that's really all I can see. And Yeah. It's not that that's bad. It's just that's it feels a little bit of it's a little bit of a letdown after all that build up
0: Yeah, I mean, we had the character who had a crush on Brody and Mm -hmm. then turned him in, and we thought we were going to see her again. And I'm not saying... I, I didn't want another episode of Brody just being miserable in Venezuela, getting jacked up on heroin, and going through the same stuff all over again. Like, I wanted to stick with what we are dealing with now. At the same time, then why did they spend so much time on it? Why did they introduce all these characters and tease us with the possibilities that they might be coming in later. Maybe they will be coming in later. The season's not over yet, but it seems unlikely at this point if we're going to the Middle East again.
1: Right, yeah, that, that was very strange to me. Uh, one last thing uh, I forgot to bring up regarding Dana and, uh, and Morgan Saylor. I thought she did a great job in this episode. I do think she's a talented actress. And as much as I like how they wrapped things up, with her character in this episode, and how really we don't need to see her again. Mm-hmm. And if Brody dies at the end of the season, I don't think we're going to be seeing any of the Brody family again, honestly. Yeah.
0: I mean, well, what's the point? There's There would be no point to that after all. I mean, sure, you could have a reaction shot of, oh, Brody wasn't this bad guy after all, he redeemed himself, but you know, they're not going to care. He put them through hell and, you know, like, it's not going to mean a lot to them. And if
1: that does end up being the case, I do think that we've left Jessica and Chris and the rest of the Brody family in kind of an awkward way. You know, there's a part of me that is thinking, okay, if this is where the season was ultimately going to go, at the end of season two, you know, Brody and Jessica decided to get a divorce. They had a nice little goodbye
0: hmm
1: why if ultimately at the end of this season they're gonna be written off the show and you're not really gonna do much with them why even include them at all you know why not just have nothing with the brody family until this episode when brody comes back and it's like i want to see dana and we find out everything that's happened with her
0: Yeah, I mean, even if he ends up uh, completing this mission and doing the right thing, you know, he's not going to write a letter to Jessica, and Jessica's going to read it and tear up and think, oh my god, he loves me after all. Like, she's just going to look at that and be like, Brody's lied to me for years. How do I know this isn't a lie? And just throw it in the fireplace, you know? She's not going to care.
1: And, you know, uh, we'll be able to talk about this more when the season's over, but there's a part of me that wonders, okay, regarding everything with Brody's family, would it have been better overall— Just to not include them this season. And then when we finally catch up with Dana in this episode, we realize, oh, Dana moved out of the house. Oh, she tried to kill herself. Oh, she was in an institution. Oh, she hates her father. And and there's all this anger there. Would that ultimately have been more impactful if we were just suddenly confronted with it all at once? Kind of like how Brody is.
0: Yeah. Oh, I think if you cut out the episode where Dana and Leo go on a road trip and you split this current episode that we are reviewing right now in two and uh, gave it more time to straighten itself out and not just rush through everything, I feel like it would have been a lot better because... Not only did we deal with a lot of crap with Dana and Leo, but, like, they teased at certain things with the Brody family, you know, they teased at scenes with Jessica and Mike, and the fact that they're still broken, and Dana's home life and whatnot, it, it, it just feels like, yeah, I agree with you. At this point, I don't really care to see them, so if they do leave it at an awkward point, there are worse things that the show could do to piss me off. But at the same time, it's not like I'm looking for that scene for them to wrap everything up with them because I you know they don't really have to do with anything right now, right they they're just totally irrelevant
1: and and here's the thing, Charlie, as much as I think this is a an interesting and a and a good place to leave Dana, you know, if they don't kill off Brody, then there's no reason she can't pop up randomly at some point in the future, yeah, whether it's season four or five have her become part of his life again and maybe that would work too maybe leave her alone for a while uh, until she's more important you know for the narrative
0: yeah instead of oh we haven't used dana in a while let's uh let's throw in this subplot with uh, her pathological lying boyfriend
1: i don't want to discuss that too much just because we don't know how the season's going to turn out yet but those are a few things that i'm wondering Moving forward, you know, looking over the season as a whole, would these characters and, and would these plot lines, are they really all that necessary in the grand scheme of things? So.
0: Well, I mean, yeah, think about like the episode with Dana and Leo, how we spent an entire episode on that. It interrupted Carrie's plot line. And there's no reason for that that Dana should take priority over everything going on in this season. It, it just felt totally out of left field and took me out of the entire plot of the show because we've been building on this plot so slowly. And then not only is the beginning of the season pretty slow, but they keep going back to Dana and we don't really know why. And now it's not really for any reason in particular other than to develop her character, quote unquote. But we could have gotten that straight out of, you know, the fact that we, we could, you're right, we could have just had a scene where Carrie brings her to, uh, the motel. And honestly, if we just got uh, Carrie bringing Brody to the motel uh, to see Dana without any of Dana's scenes, her living in a motel would make more sense because we wouldn't have the friend showing up at her house and being like, uh, she's going to live with me. Right. And it, it, it would immediately make us question,
1: oh, my God, what happened? That she's yeah. not in school, she's working as a maid. What's going on?
0: That ambiguity would be more haunting and more effective for me instead of hammering home a bunch of scenes of Dana being angsty and, you know, texting her boyfriend's nude pictures and going on road trips and smoking pot. Like, it would have uh, let my imagination run wild as to growing up is hard and then growing up with all this stuff is uh, it's unimaginable. Mm-hmm. So, like it would have made me think, oh my god, she really has been through so much. And it would have made the scene in which uh, he confronts her even more painful for me because we'd have to fill in the blank. That, that I, I agree with you. I think that if you cut out Dana's, uh, the rest of Dana's uh, scenes from this season, the season would definitely uh, improve as a whole. Uh,
1: the last thing I want to mention regarding this episode is that I do think everything with Dana touches on a, a broader theme which is just that whole idea of fathers and daughters, you know, and you've got Dana, who has been damaged by Brody, and you've got Carrie, who has been damaged by her father figure, Saul. Mm -hmm. And it's about their relationship, and and can those bonds be mended? And in the case of Brody, it looks like probably not, but in the case of Carrie and Saul, maybe. Maybe. They do acknowledge at the end of, of the episode, you know, maybe we can start trusting each other again, or at least fake it well enough.
0: I loved that scene too. I'm glad that you brought this up because that scene made me so proud for Carrie because the entire episode, I was just like, oh my God, Carrie, you're falling for Saul's tricks all over again. And yeah, it's for a good reason. And yeah, I'd understand why you'd go down this way. But you are allowing yourself to be used for the millionth time by him. And the fact that she stood up for herself, uh, I thought was a great moment. And the fact that, she and I love that line, we're either going to have to start trusting each other or find out a way to pretend like we are. I loved, uh, I, I think that was a really strong moment where Carrie says, I'm sick of being your pawn, basically. I, you know, like, we're you need to start trusting me again. You wouldn't have gotten this far if it wasn't for me. You're using me to get what you want because you can't get it. And you have to realize that I take should take as much credit for this as you because you wouldn't be at this point if it wasn't for me. And I liked the fact that she refused to be acknowledged as just like, you know, uh, a rank below him, basically, because she's doing just as much work as he is. And I also think that the confrontation with uh, between Brody and Dana could be foreshadowing as to where the relationship with Saul and Carrie could lead.
1: Right. We, we, we'll we have to wait and see. And you're right. I, I do like how she's defending herself as a necessary part of this Operation, and what she's been able to contribute. At the same time, though, like I said, I tend to be Team Saul. And after last week's episode, where Carrie nearly ruined everything and ended up getting shot, just because she's so focused on Brody and clearing his name, I'm a little bit more on Saul's side. Honestly, I I kind of feel like you know what, Carrie. I understand you love Brody, but you got to go back to. Placing your job as equally important. And you got to be more willing to look at the big picture, like Saul is, over your immediate emotions.
0: Oh, I think that she is, though. That's what I liked about it, is I feel like she she's sacrificing Brody for her job right now. Right. She's doing pretty terrible, emotionally uh, manipulative things. Like, oh, here's your daughter in the motel, but you can't talk to her until you do what we want. Like, that's pretty... Awful to not only, you know, is Brody gone through psychological hell and back, but now he's recovering and it's like, hey, you want to see your daughter? Well, too bad. Uh, you won't be able to until we uh, let you. I think that she's basically saying, Saul, I'm doing like, look, I'm sacrificing Brody for this job. I'm doing a ton of stuff that I am hating uh, having to do for you. So start trusting me again and start respecting me again, because, yeah, I, you know, I didn't even think about last week, to be honest. I just thought of all the uh, events in this episode. And in a way, I felt like that was all of this is redemption for her screwing up last week. I felt like that was her kind of saying, look, I'm doing my job. I'm sacrificing the love of my life for you because I believe in this plan that you are so passionate about. Start trusting me again and start treating me like I'm someone who can be trusted and start treating me like a person and not just some object. Uh, that you can use to uh, manipulate Brody mm-hmm. or I- I'm not a tool I'm working the appliances with you
1: right you know all right well I think that that's a good place to leave things unless there's anything else you want to say about this episode
0: uh no i I think uh, I've said everything I wanted to say I thought it was once again, an overall strong episode. I feel like it's pretty bonkers in terms of what happens, but it is uh, the most fast-paced and gripping episode of the season so far, and uh, I also think it contains uh, some very potent dramatic highs. So,
1: All right. Well, that'll wrap it up for this episode of The Briefing Room. We'd love to get your feedback on the show. Don't forget you can call us at 336-793-2509. Uh, You can also email us at briefingroom at filmgeekradio.com or comment on the website at filmgeekradio.com. You can also subscribe to the show through iTunes and Stitcher. So if you liked this episode, please uh, leave us a review. That really helps us get the word out about the program. Uh, You can also donate to us through the website. We really appreciate your help. Don't forget to check out other great shows on Film Geek Radio, including Cinema Fix, The Thin Place the Nerdy Projectors, uh, in our podcast all about Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. cast. Charlie, where can people find you online?
0: You can listen to me and Andrew talk about the eighth and final season of Dexter under the Avenging Angels section of FilmGeekRadio.com, and you can also follow me on Twitter at ctnash91. That's C-T-N-A-S-H-91.
1: You can find some of my film criticism at moviemezzanine.com, and you can find some of my TV writing at pathios.com where I'm currently covering uh, the Fox series Almost Human, uh, among some other things. You can also follow me on Twitter at WriterAndrew. If you do follow me, be sure to send me a message and let me know you're a listener, and I will follow you back so we can keep talking about Homeland. That'll wrap it up for this episode. I'm Andrew Johnson. I'm Charlie Nash. And go out and work towards world peace.